everyone. This is Lee and Alex from Ivy, and we have a very special guest with us today, Tony Vanderholst. Known to her clients as designer Tony, principal of Love to Design, and owner of a Decorating Den Interiors French franchise. In the industry for over 25 years, her and her husband Pete operate a full-service interior design and build firm from Redlands, California. Primarily, their work is found between Malibu to Palm Springs, California. Even Tony are licensed general contractors. Although they have an extensive educational background, they both agree that the best education is the School of Hard Knocks. Their motto is, you can never know enough and you never know what you don't know. And perhaps this belief system has been a key driver to their success in the interior design ecosystem. Uh, not even including construction contracts, Tony has written over $22 million in products and design fees during her career. And I'm particularly excited to host Tony here today because we met at Las Vegas Market. She's a lot of fun and she has a big personality. So thank you again, Tony, for joining us. Thanks, Lee and Alex, for including me in this podcast today. Um, I am honored to be a part of this great design community that you are helping to create and to have this opportunity to share some of my passion with all of the community of design. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much, Tony. I'll start with the very first question for you. Um, do you believe okay. in setting business goals for yourself? So how do you do that? And, how, and do you actually have goals set for yourself for 2018? Um, you know, funny, whenever you ask me questions, I'm always one who like, there's no easy answer, but yes, goals. Mm -hmm. I feel like goals, there's nothing more important. Um, whether you do a formal, formalized comprehensive goal setting session in the last quarter of each year, or you happen to be extremely driven and goals are something you constantly think about. You are an overachiever and you know how to go out and get the business. Some of us are naturally wired this way. It's probably a more rare personality trait, I would believe. However, if you are a new business owner or someone who gets sidetracked easily, you must do the written goal setting session with yourself and with your team. You need to review them monthly and you absolutely have to make sure you're on track. And if you're not on track, maybe you have to make some changes in what those goals are and how you're doing things. <laughs> My goals for 2018 were to finish the current version of me. Um, I happen to be somebody who reinvents myself often because I know that the economic climate changes constantly. Um, for me, it's probably about every four years or if something crazy happens in the world, uh, then we have to you know, make sure we are able to slip into a different uh, mindset. Um, you know, personally, we've seen the great times and we've seen the very bad times financially. Um, the recession, I, I personally call it a depression because it was tough, especially out here in California. Yeah. Um, it took the wind completely out of our sails. Um, it forced us, though, to do a lot of things, um, to rethink what our possessions were, what our investments and responsibilities are. Mm -hmm. um, you know, in the past, I had a very large team. Um, even up until about two years ago, I was building a team. Now I'm kind of slowing things down a little bit, not, not so much um, goal as far as financial goals go, but just in how I'm going to build my firm going forward. Um, and it's not really necessarily 
you know, I actually have downsized my building and, and, and how we do business. Um, really focusing on the next 10 years of how I, um, you know, keep working, um, but working smarter, not harder. Um, and I want to start feeling, you know, I want to feel good. I want to look good. Um, of course. Keep trying to stay with that 50 mark, right? <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> And how do you communicate um, goals with your team? How do you make sure that you hold your teammates accountable for it? Okay. So right now my team is down, other than, other than we have many subcontracts that work alongside us, but um, our team itself right now is um, a design assistant, a bookkeeper, mm -hmm. and my husband and I. And then, like I said, there's a lot of outside sources. Um, yeah. Trying to keep the employee load down a bit. So we um, we sit down and we talk about you know once a month we sit down and say okay what do we have going on what's coming in can we handle everything that's happening mm -hmm. you know do we need to change what type of projects we take right now or you know and i believe as economies change and things like that you do have to constantly look at that because you have to keep you have to keep the cash flowing and you know so we do we talk about it you know um and i tell you know my husband's always let me be the driver and the goal setter and all that stuff. And he uh, prefers to follow along. <laughs> and I've learned that over the years, um, you know, but my main goal is to keep loving what I do, keep offering the best quality and the best service to our clients. And I want to keep the joy. I want to make sure I'm joyful and I keep the passion in this business alive that I've always loved. Um, and, you know, again, the whole concentrating a little bit on myself, because if I'm not healthy and if I'm not feeling good, the, there is no business. There is no, yeah, there is no true. And it's love to design. Mind when you're working so hard and you're juggling so many different things, that's something that even Lee and myself have to remind ourselves of on a daily basis. Yes. Yes, yes. And as I get older, I'm realizing it is more important. You know, I'm in my mid-50s and, and I have to... Um, I feel pretty good, but, um, you know, things hurt that used to not hurt. <laughs> so, and, you know, our business, you know, we carry a lot of heavy things and we do things we shouldn't do and move things we shouldn't move. So we have to really um, be careful so we can preserve ourselves for the future. So, um, yeah, yeah. Some of the, some of the business um, things that I want to definitely fine tune this year, and I'm still working on it, um, you know, my, my marketing is something I'm constantly thinking about and working on and experimenting with. Um, I, even though I have a very successful business, what most people would think, I would say that um, uh, I never take anything for granted and I never believe that you should start, stop marketing who you are and what your business is all about and how are you going to get the clients you want to work with. So um, that's something that's always front of mind to me um so the thing and i want to in, in order about the staff what i'm trying to do is fine tune our systems okay um i want to i want to get my welcome packet dialed in and my contracts really tightened up um you know financial goals i'm hoping that we can do 1.2 million in sales and fees um not including construction and materials we're pretty much on target for that goal right now though so i'm, I'm happy and, about that and that is amazing actually speaking of that goal it actually goes into the next question that i want to address and it's that sure. business model 
So you set that goal. So for, you know, 1.2 million, I, I want to talk about um, how you reach that goal and really how you think about your, your business model. Do you do product markups? What's your average markup? Do you do, do you charge hourly? And do you have different rates for the different tasks that you're doing? Just talk us through your business model and how you make your bottom okay. something significant. Okay. Okay, great. Well, firstly, you know, <laughs> I'm in this business to make money. I mean, I absolutely love, love, love what I do. Um, but, you know, we have to make a living. We have to be able to survive. And we have to have a lifestyle that we enjoy um, because we work so hard. We have to make sure we have the financial ability to take time away and do things that help to rejuvenate us and bring us, you know, bring us back to um, why we do this and make, make us happy because, you know, taking breaks and all that is important and you need money to do that. So um, uh, you have to, so you have to make sure that you're, that that's focused. I mean, you, yes, we do this for fun, um, but this is a business, you know, we are in business and what do businesses do? They make money and provide jobs for many other people. And that's a lot of responsibility. So you have to make sure that you are focused on that at all times. Mm -hmm. um, so going into that, what I always tell designers, you know, just because we're not wealthy or maybe we don't have the budgets our clients do, um, we have to keep that in mind. Doesn't mean you can't act rich if you want to, you can think that you can think like a rich person without ever actually having to be rich, have a lot of money. And I just always like to tell people, remember, because I think this is what I see when I have new designers coming and working for me and people that I see out in all the chat rooms and everything, they, they are what we call consumeritis, really bad consumeritis. So I always tell people, remember, your expensive is not necessarily your client's expensive. So you have to kind of lose that mindset that, oh, uh, $8,000 sofa, that's really expensive. Well, for you it is, but for your client, that's just, that's perfect for them. So, yeah. Um, and just, yeah. just remember, you have to make money uh, and you deserve it. It's very hard work. Um, you have a lot of risk and responsibilities. And if you can't make money at doing this, it's not worth it. Yeah, that's um, so it's a long way to my answer sometimes. I'm sorry, because there's always like a preface to it. There's no, <laughs> like in this business, there's nothing that is, um, what's the word I use? Um, nothing that is normal. I mean, everything we do, every vendor we work with, everything's different. Everything we touch has a, you know, it's not a controlled business, that's for sure. Yeah, um, so many moving pieces and so many different types of clients, which actually brings me to, my next question, which is how do you manage client expectations? Do you have a questionnaire? How, how transparent are um, your markups and how do you convey that transparency to your clients? Okay. Okay. Well, we do, like, we do, do have a, yeah. Do they know that you are marking up? Well, you know, I, I approach things, you know, a little, I, I, I assume, which is really not a word you should use ever, but um, people, first of all, when people call me, my, my leads are warm leads. People are calling us because they have a need. Um, so yes, we do have a questionnaire that we, but I have my um, assistant actually do for me. I found out, you know, I'm not good at questioning clients on the phone because I'll skip the questions and I'll just get too eager and I will go out and see almost anybody because I'm just a giving kind of person. Um, and I, 
and I remember where my roots are, and I remember when I started that I was willing and able to do anything that anybody wanted me to do, because to me that was my education time, whether I made money or not, and sometimes lost money. Um, that was basically paying for my education. Mm-hmm. So what we tell our clients, you know, we have, you know, we listen to what their needs are first. Again, the most important thing we do as a designer is that we listen. So we go through things. We ask them about their project, and we, you know, get a little, you know. You know, when do you want it done? You know, what's what motivated you to call us now? Have you worked with another designer before? That's always that's an important question to ask. Um, and why aren't they working with them now? That's the most important thing you can hear. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's funny when you ask people these questions, they're not expecting the question, so most of the time they just answer it. You know, so um, so with our clients, we offer them hourly um, at their home. Um, so we give them this information. Um, we offer them advice um, and direction on what they have and what they want to purchase. Um, and say they, you know, they just, that's all they want. They want to go buy things on their own. Um, we do not offer, like, let's find things and charge you hourly and let you go buy it on your own. I don't believe in that. Mm-hmm. Um, so if they're going to do it this way hourly, they need their own sources. And I will, you know, they'll have to show me what they're thinking about and, I'll see if it'll work, that kind of thing. I don't, I don't do any sourcing for clients to go out and buy on their own. Um, so, and, and you know, I have to tell you, most of the time, once we get to this process, people don't work like this. But I, I offer it um, because yeah. I have this model. I cannot design, specify, and sell it to my clients. I really don't want to be involved. Mm-hmm. Um, because even if you say, oh, yeah, go to a restoration hardware, and, oh, yeah, that's perfect for your room, and, you know, you do specifications, and it comes in, and it's horrible. Or it's good, but they don't have good taste, so they don't know what they're, you know, they're going to still blame you. Um, you're still going to get the, um, you know, what they say rolls downhill um, because you advise them on it. So I just really think you have to be careful what you recommend people to go out and buy, if, especially if you don't have firsthand knowledge. Um, and I do not specify from online retailers, mm-hmm. um, you know, with a big name, um, because if they, if that's what they want, why do they need a designer? I just have never, I just don't understand that mindset. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and I mean, I can't say that I've never done it. I have purchased from these sources and I will purchase from these sources. <clears throat> say a client, you know, we're doing a big project and the daughter is just stuck on her pottery barn bedroom. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, so I do that, but it's part right. of a large project. I purchase, I somehow make it, make money up in other products within the project. Um, I just put the profit somewhere else if I have to. Um, but I cal- when I calculate my profitability on a job, it's on the whole project. It's not on one item. Um, because I think you have to know the industry, you know, and I study things. And when I, when I interview my clients, I talk to them about what they find value in what they're willing to pay for something. You know, if they have uh, a Mercedes in the driveway, is it an S class? Um, mm-hmm. Or do they have a Tesla? You know, I mean, those things are real good clues for you. Um, and to see, you know, do they have artwork in their home? Do they spend money on frivolous things? You know, does she have a nice handbag? You know, those kinds of things give you clues of what people are willing to spend money on. Mm-hmm. And, I think you have to really look at that. Um, But if you have somebody who's just like wanting to price shop you or they want to use pottery barn or restoration hardware, I 
or Wayfair, you know, I just completely almost ignore those those <laughs> sources when they throw them at me and say, you know, we can look at that, but you know what, I can buy direct and I can find you, you know, you may see five rugs on Wayfair and I'll show you 50,000, you know, <laughs> and then all of a sudden I have control, I have control over the project. And um, on that the, point, did you ever ahead. have to break up with a client and how did you manage that process? <laughs> well, this question comes a bunch in in our community. I know, I know, I know, I know. Well, you know, let me just tell you the the real way. I, the most way I do my business though is design team plus markups. Um, mm -hmm. and and I'll tell you this right now. I do not tell my clients my markups. I explain to them I'm a retail store, just like they buy from you know. Right. They go by at, uh, uh, you know, XYZ furniture store. They're right. not telling you what their markup is. <laughs> you know, yes, so, you um, that. That's such a good way of explaining it's this such to your an client. easy way to yeah. explain Yeah. 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 You know, I'm, I am a retail store. I, you know, I have to say my education and my background before starting this business was at the retail level. I've been a buyer. I've been a retail manager. I've been an operations manager all before I was 30. <laughs> so, mm -hmm. And, and so, and, and so I really have that mindset. And, um, you know, I know that, I know that Nordstrom's would pay, they may pay $3 from a shirt and, but they may charge 75, you know, and the way I look at it, well, it's not just costing them $3. It's costing all the people that it takes, you know, just, it's probably costing them 50, you know, or whatever by the time it's done. So you have to look at yourself like that too. I mean, it's not just the cost of the item. It's the cost of you, your staff. It's the cost of making sure that they are happy when you're done. Um, and so, you know, for the most part, you know, we do design fee plus markups and I keystone most of my things, which means doubling the product price. Mm -hmm. um, and I also understand in the industry that, um, and, and this goes back to my furniture buying days, um, 33 and a third percent of the retail price is what a stocking dealer normally pays. So, um, and so if you kind of keep that in mind, um, if you double that price, you go down to 33 and a third percent, you double that price, that's normally what they're going to retail it at. And so that's what you kind of, you have to, that's just experience and you have to just keep that in mind. Um, so, and I just always tell my clients, I'm never going to compromise quality and service for price. So one big question that we get a lot is how do designers that are successful manage their time? And a lot of, in a lot of cases, it's how you manage your time that can help make a design firm successful. So I would love to talk through some of your internal processes and habits that help you free up some time so you can focus less on the admin headaches and more on design. Okay. Okay. Well, um, again, not a black and white question, but um, not a black and white answer. Um, and not always easy to answer. Um, a misconception in our business, um, and I think designers find out really quick that it's about average 20% 20% design and 80% everything else that you have to do and all the hats we have to wear um, you know especially if you have employees and you know all these things you you know organization that kind of thing um, so I don't think we'll ever be a place where it's 50 50 um, but I'd sure like to get it down to 40 60 um, and and again that comes with systems um, mm -hmm. and 
I believe that they're, you know, maybe, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe some of the systems that are about to happen and things that you guys are even launching uh, are going to make that more possible. Um, in the past, we've used three different project management systems um, for like the last 15 years. So it's not something that is foreign to me because I have, I always have kept looking for easier ways to do things and, you know, how to, how to, you know, purchase orders and, and how to keep all of these, it's a juggling act and how to keep all the balls in the air at the same time and not dropping any of them. And, you know, uh, that is why though, that's why some of us in this business that start don't last in this business because that is not something they, they, that's not a lifestyle they want to live in. You know, they don't want to live in constant chaos. However, with systems today, it's, it's really getting easier. And, um, you know, I should say when I started my business, I had a fax machine and a typewriter. So, and a phone. So things wow. are a, a landline phone. That's it. Um, and things progressed rapidly in the 90s. And then after the millennium, of course, things really got crazy and we're moving faster than ever in the technology world. Um, the first thing that we do as a, as a team is we live by our Google Calendar. Um, each, I assign each staff member um, and things that I believe that need a calendar, whether it's a part of our business or you know, marketing calendar, whatever. Everybody gets a calendar in Google and it has a different color code. And um, I, even, I don't even believe in using a separate calendar for my husband and I, personal calendar. So we even have personal calendars within our Google Calendar. Um, so we are always focused on what we have to do, um, whether it's personal or um, doctor's appointments or spending time with our grandchildren, um, days that we like to play hooky, um, stuff that we just keep between the two of us. Um, and we just, you know, you just cannot, when you have all these balls in the air, you have to have one place you look to see, okay, what am I doing? today? What am I doing this week? What am I doing this month? What am I doing this year? And there are things that I do put on the calendar. I've already put on the calendar. Uh, for instance, um, next year, National Kitchen and Bath Show is in February in Las Vegas. That's already on my calendar for next year. And again, that, that's, how we, that's how we schedule our life. Um, in the past, believe it or not, in a manual sort of way. That's another layer so, of complexity, I'm sure. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Yes. <laughs> Um, you know, uh, a little background on myself about operations. I told you I did operations management uh, before I was 30 and things like that and retail management. Um, and in the design world, I have actually written and taught courses for the interior design business on operations business management. And a lot of this was done with um, basically Microsoft uh, PowerPoint and, you know, and uh, purchase orders and, and Excel and things like that. And even back then, I, we didn't have smartphones. I'm talking like 15 years ago. I don't know how long ago the iPhone was invented, but I had a thing called a Trio. And what it was, it was pre-Blackberry even. It was a uh, calendar and pretty much a calendar. I don't, I don't know what else it did, contact management, that kind of thing. But you know, things have come a long way, and I have Steve Jobs to thank for it. Um, you know, it, I do remember in the early 90s, I had a, a giant phone that was mounted in my car, 
-hmm. and it cost $1,800 and the service was terrible. And I remember throwing that thing away, you know, but so some people complain today about a thousand dollar iPhone. I go, oh, well, that's nothing. (laughs) So, um, so, you know, so it's a constant evolution and, and right now it's moving at lightning speed. Um, About two years ago, I discovered something that was on the verge of being born. Um, could that have been Ivy? <laughs> these little, these little things. That's, that's familiar. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and it was, you guys, first of all, I love people who market well and, you know, say what you may about Facebook and all these other things. If it weren't for Facebook, um, none of us would know each other. And that's how I found Ivy. Um, and it just kept coming up in my feed. And I was intrigued by, wow, these people are marketing. These people are doing this. And it was this pretty little picture. And I thought, hmm, how to manage my business? Well, I'm certainly not happy with what I'm using right now. Um, and, again, I'm one of these people that, had this thing, I'm doing, this thing is the same as it was four years ago. Why haven't they improved it, you know? Um, and for somebody my age, I'm, I'm pretty techie, and I'm not afraid to learn new things. Um, and I, I love working with new programs and trying to figure things out. I have an open mind. Um, and when I, tried it, when I started working with the Ivy program and I looked at it, I think we talked to one of you guys on the phone. I think it was you, Lee. Was it, would it have been you? I think it was, I think me. It was. It was me. Yeah. And, <laughs> um, <laughs> and I'm one of these people. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. So, no, like, I, thank you. Yeah. So I'm one of these people, so I looked at your system. I think you guys got me into it. We talked through it. And, you know, I'm not afraid to really try to learn things for two hours. That's all I give it. If I can't navigate my way around a system in less than two hours, I give up and I am frustrated. Um, And maybe that's why I'm an Apple user because it's pretty easy to figure out. Maybe that's why I'm good at what I do on the computers because Apple's taught me that. But I don't mean that I have to figure everything out, but I just have to be able to get the navigation down. And um, I call it mousing around. If I can get around on a program and I can figure it out and find things fairly quickly, just like clicking around. I'm not afraid to click around either, by the way. So that is something, you know, for people who are a bit older, and even I've had some young people too that are afraid to click around. I don't know. They think the computer's going to blow up, but it's not. And, and yeah, you if just it have does, to try it. You just have to, you know, make a mistake. That's the fun thing about Ivy. You can play with it. Yeah. It's okay if you make a mistake. Yeah. The system yeah. won't. <laughs> yeah. And I think that's one thing that appealed to me is when we were talking, I, I, would, I told you guys these things. These are the things I told you. Well, if I'm going to do this, this is what I don't like about what I'm doing. And I want, you know, if I make a mistake, oh my gosh, what do I do? Well, back then, if I made a mistake, I just had to email or send that little red dot to you guys and tell you what I did and you would fix it. So, but now we can fix it ourselves. So that's great. So, yeah. So, I mean, I, I'm one when I go into a system, I don't ever expect it to like take over my business within the first month or six months. I actually give a system a year to learn to learn and to incorporate into my business before I get rid of other processes that I do in my business. So before I, you know, with Ivy, you know, I, I don't, I I didn't, you know, use it to its fullest. I just now started this week, Mm -hmm. um, based on my assistant and I feeling frustrated with each other 
and how we are communicating about what's happening with what jobs and all this. Well, we weren't really using the project planner because, again, I'm kind of a, I have a phobia to spreadsheets. It's just something that I have, and I'm, I can learn anything, but I've really never, I've never been able to create a spreadsheet all on my own and, and make, and make it do calculations and things like that. So that's another thing I love about Ivy because it does all that for me. I don't have to ask somebody to make a program for me or make a, make a spreadsheet for me. Um, but the planning button that is fairly new, um, I just started incorporating it this week. And my assistant and I were ready to kill each other on Monday. And I said, okay, let's go up to my home office. Let's sit down and let's go over some of these things and how we can make it better. And she's awesome. She's fairly new. Um, a fairly recent grad, but she's got what it takes to, she's got common sense and she's got what it takes to really work in this business. So I'm really willing to work with her on this. So we said, guys, let's go through it. Let's look at this plan button. Let's look at this, uh, let's look at the project management thing. Let's see how, see what we're not using in the system that could fix our problem. Well. Yeah, absolutely. It's, uh, it's working. It's working. It's amazing. <laughs> And we don't have to say, like, she would, she would check on a project, but we wouldn't put it anywhere because it wasn't really easy to see. Or say I needed to pay an invoice on something or she wanted me to approve an invoice. It would go into our email or it would go into our OneNote. But, oh, my gosh, how do you find it? Well, this plan button, she gives me a to-do, and that to-do doesn't go away until I do it. And I love it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Ivy magic and works. We love it. We love it. Oh my gosh. It is really the, um, it's, it is like we're, we've used one night note and we'll still use one note in our research. And when we first start a job or something like that, but now our communication and things that I want her, you know, things pertaining to projects that I want her to do. And this is more or less after we sold something or we're in the design phases or whatever, this is where we're going to be putting it. And it's, it's, she told me yesterday that this was completely life-changing. From crying, she's smiling again. So, oh, so um, <laughs> Speaking of communication, how do you work with contractors? And how does that process work? Ah. Do you have any tips for designers who are new to working with contractors and how, how to manage the process? Um, yes. Well, it helps if you sleep with them. <laughs> That's what I do with mine. Um, is your, and, husband well, your husband is yeah, he's my, he's my, he's my, he's my general contractor. And that is, even that is, yeah, but still he's a contractor. Okay. And, 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 you know, I, you can only control so much of what they do and how they think and what systems they're willing to use. And, you know, they don't tend to be, you have to find what technology they're comfortable with and do that with them. Although I have to tell you, he was using the Ivy calendar. Um, on these last two jobs with us, and he knew he actually was able to teach us how to input that stuff better the other day when we were having this discussion about the plan. Mm -hmm. So he actually liked the Ivy calendar when we were project managing because we were having a hard time. We would sell the jobs, we would design the jobs, we would price the jobs, we knew the contract, the subs that he liked to use, but we weren't really on top of what he, we knew he was running out the door early in the morning every day, but we weren't really knowing what he was doing when. So he started using the Ivy calendar in December and that is connected to our Google calendar. So really it's our fault if we don't look, if we don't know what's going on because he's been very good about that. So that helps if you can get them to calendar things for you and tell you when they need things, et cetera. <clears throat> but 
you know, there are times, and, and there's still times today, that I get clients who have their own contractor. Um, <clears throat> and it, it, it's a different game. Um, we have to play moderator, and we have to keep everybody happy. And most of the time, someone is mad at someone, and often it's going to be the designer, and they're going to blame the designer. Some contractors hear that a client has a designer, and the hair goes up on the back of their neck. Um, and that's reputation from the past, and I think um, the whole diva attitude that designers can sometimes have, they have to, um, you have to be humble, and you have to know that you're dealing, you can't, you can't change a man, um, and especially somebody who's a very good contractor. You've got to try to figure out how you're going to work with him, and how you're going to, you know, you have to keep his ego happy as well. Um, I mean, there have been contractors that I haven't liked. Absolutely, and the clients fired them, and then the clients ended up firing me too because they're just difficult people. But there are client, there are contractors out there that just have their own mindset. They think they're designers, and they want to completely control the project, and they hate when there's a designer involved. So you have to walk that tightrope carefully. But one thing you also have to do is make sure that your client is informed and um, that you know what your your you want to ask your client. What role do you want me to play between you and your contractor? Mm. And you can tell them what's worked for you in the past, what hasn't worked. Um, and, you know, do they want to talk to the contractor or should you? You just really want to make sure that you set clear boundaries and keep yourself out of trouble with them. Because if the client likes the contractor and they hired them first and they came recommended or they've used them before on projects, you're not going to win you will not win if you, if you try to fight the process. So um, you want the contractor coming away from the job in the end, telling, saying great things about you and having a different opinion of designers. Um, yeah, really interesting. I like yeah. that though, basically just to summarize what you said, when that client has a contractor that they really love, and even if they're rubbing you the wrong way, you have to make it work because at the end of the day, if you butt heads oh, with a yeah. contractor, it can be at the expense of losing that job. Oh my gosh, yes. Oh my gosh, yeah. You have to, you have to. It's, it, you know, we're in a people business and you have to be able to work with all kinds of people. <laughs> and people you don't necessarily like, not people that you're willing to go have coffee or cocktails with. But you've got, you've, you're the mediator. You're the, you're the person who needs to keep everything calm and because that's why people hired you um that's how i look at it now in our situation my clients love it because they don't even if they, if they find out this is how we do and they agree to work with us and if they work our way and i tell them you know the best thing you could do is just let us do our job it's going to go slower it's going to cost twice as much and take twice as long and i kind of say that with a chuckle but it, it's kind of the truth and if you keep reminding them of that um, you know, it's, it's a, um, it, it, it's a, it's, it's a, it's a dance and you have to keep dancing and you can't stop the music. Um, that's all I can tell you is you, it's just something you have to, um, you have to prepare your clients for the worst so you can show them the best. Mm. Um, and whether I'm doing the job construction wise or another contractor is before we start the tear out. I give my clients permission to hate me 
for a period of time. And they kind of look at me, oh, why would we hate you? You know, this is a joyful time. They're so excited. They're signing the contract. They're going to get their new kitchen or their new master bathroom. And they're just so excited. And then the tear out day comes. And you've told them everything. You've told them how horrible it's going to be. You told them that they had permission to hate you. But guess what? It's their emotions. Everything's dusty. They can't get into their underwear drawer. Their husband can't find his favorite shirt. They are in the worst nightmare of their life that for the moment anyway. Mm -hmm. If you prepare them for that, you can remind them about that along the way. It sometimes helps. It sometimes doesn't. But it's awesome when you finish the job or things getting close and they start smiling again and they are so happy. And I told one client one time, I said, remember, her name is Joy. I said, remember, Joy, how much I told, how much you hated me a few weeks ago? Tony, I didn't hate you. I just, I just, it was just so, so much going on at once. So they're going to read, they don't even remember the rage. If you stay connected, if you stay engaged, and if you understand their emotions and, and cry with them if you have to. <laughs> you know, so, so I you think, know. yeah. And I think so. I think really to summarize some of the big lessons so far, it's really communicating with your client, giving your client the expectation, the expectations that, hey, there's going to be times that this process might not be smooth, communicating with that contractor, you know, walking that tightrope. And so I think those are some two very important lessons. And I think how we want to end this podcast is with what has been one of the biggest lessons you've learned from a mistake uh, that has really shaped the way you're doing things today? I think a lot of listening can, you know, can learn from a mistake you made that has kind of impacted how you do things today. Okay. Well, and it, 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 it's, I mean, we didn't do things as fast as what I see other designers doing, and that's getting involved in a construction job when you're very early in the business, when you, I see people say, well, I don't, I'm not responsible. I, I didn't know how, why am I responsible for making sure this contractor knows where the tile goes. He didn't hire me. Yeah, but your, your client did. And, um, and, and so you, you, are you getting involved in construction where you know nothing about, you don't know the laws, you, you know, mm-hmm. you've gone to school and they've taught you, you know, what you think you need to know. But it's nothing like the real world. So, early, you know, not early in our business, but when we first started doing construction, I would say this has been about 12, 13 years ago. Um, we were involved in a pretty big remodel. It was a referral. Um, and we had licenses. We had a home improvement license. We had a painting license, you know, license. And we had, uh, I think a window treatment installation license. You know, we're in California, heavily, heavily, heavily licensed, monitored state. Um, but we started this project, and the client was crazy, and she would often call me and start testing me out. And you know, I mean, words that were crazy. Well, one day, I was actually on another job, and she was blowing up my phone, and she was. I picked up the phone, and she was throwing the f bomb out there, and I just said, you know what, I'm done. I cannot, and I've never done, I've never, ever fired a client like this before, mm-hmm. but she was just being so abusive, and I just, I couldn't continue, I quit, and I've never done that. Um, well, it didn't end well. Her and her husband were also commercial contractors, they knew the laws, and she filed a lawsuit, and my insurance company got involved, it was expensive, um, you know, but good news is, and it's because California had abolished the home improvement license. 
um, but we didn't know it, but they did. Um, and we probably were legal at about the time we were, had the job contract, but by the time we were in depositions and all those things, these people were pulling everything out and they were going for the jugular. And um, our insurance company had to settle out of court um, and they paid about 75% of the settlement. It was ridiculous, but it was a good lesson learned. After that, Pete and I both set up for our general contractor's license. Yeah. And we are licensed, bonded, and insured with a general contractor's license to this day. And we are able to do things that a designer in California, a designer, if you're CID, if you're NCIDQ, you still cannot sign off on plans. Um, but we can sign off on plans just like an architect can or an engineer can now. So um, I highly recommend that you, um, and you can't get a general contractor's license without having experience in the industry. <clears throat> so you have to get some of these other licenses first, and you have to have people sign off on it for you. So it's, it's not something you should start when you first get out of school. Um, you know, I've, I've been to small claims court um, twice. I've won both times um, because I had great documentation, even though it wasn't computerized back then. I still had files that were 16 inches thick sometimes. Um, and one, one, one case, I had a photo of a, the lady's dog had pooped on her draperies. And um, I had that in court and that got thrown out. So I always have paperwork and I always take pictures of everything we do before, after, before, during, and after. And I have, you know, pretty decent contracts as well. Um, <clears throat> I've even ended up on a national television show. Mm -hmm. I had a crazy male client, very controlling. And um, he didn't like that I went to Home Goods and did stuff in his house from Home Goods. And sometimes that's why I cringe when people say, oh, I just had a Home Goods and I do this. And I think, oh my God, this caused me so much heartache one time. <laughs> so I'm like one of these things where all these people, I just say it's normal and this guy sued me over it. But he was controlling. He had some connections, I believe, in Hollywood. Um, and, you know, this guy wanted this stuff done before Thanksgiving, and I had, like, I think it was, you know, November 6th when he asked me to do it, and so I had to go shopping. But, so he thought I'd put cheap stuff in his house. Anyway, after the holidays, he wanted to return it all. Um, oh so then he sued me, and then I got a letter saying, oh, if you go to, um, if you come, if you go on this show and you talk to our producer, and we take it and we side with the plaintiff, we'll pay the payout, you know. So... <laughs> It was all staged, how I found out. It was mortifying, actually. I can't believe I did it. Um, but it, it was crazy. It was, it was absolutely insane. But, you know, you got to do what you got to do. It was 2011. And, and now we learn. You insurance out. You get the right licensing. And in the meantime, you make sure you have a strong, strong contract. So I think that's a really important yes. thing for the listeners. And you yes. bounce back. And you bounce back. Yes. And you don't yes. let stop you this lets you evolve your business evolve your processes and let you do things smarter going forward wow oh yeah oh so yeah, I, I, oh, yeah. It, it's funny you know I, I could write a complete novel on what not to do in this business and guess what I still don't know what I don't know <laughs> the school of hard knocks yes. exactly yes thank exactly. you Tony, for sharing your wisdom with us really i'm so inspired by everything that you, you did these past years and i know our ivy members will learn so much from your experience i think one of my biggest takeaways from our conversation is that even with years of experience and 22 million worth of products specified it's important to uh -huh. second guess yourself it's an ever-changing industry in an ever-changing world and you never know what's it is. Order, right i think you've experienced that with your story just now uh, it says exactly that. So thank you, Tony, again for being such a oh. wonderful 
host and such a wonderful well, contributor to our community. We're so grateful. We're so grateful. We know you're very busy and we knew it was going to be hard for you to find time in your busy schedule to do this podcast. So we're really appreciative of you sharing your knowledge. Thank you so much, Tony. Well, Talk to you. It, it, my, my pleasure. <laughs> Thanks, Tony.